It just seems like, though, we're living in a time when bad news is everywhere. Am I right? I mean, every time you turn around, it it seems like we're hearing things that maybe we don't want to hear. News that we would prefer not to hear. I mean, for instance, you know, even even when it comes to the day-to-day, week-to-week reports about COVID numbers, I'm just continually disgusted with the fact that we're not making better progress. Anybody with me on that? Um, just this week, I had some bad news. Uh, all the student athletes in Michigan had some bad news that maybe basketball season isn't going to start like when we thought it was going to. It's going to maybe take a few extra weeks or maybe not be at all, which really I'm, I'm coaching a JV team. We're wired up, ready to go, ready to play, and suddenly we're not going to be playing. Not news we wanted to hear. I think we're all experiencing this. Maybe your bad news was the right candidate didn't get elected. Or maybe your bad news is just looking at the news and seeing the way that people are responding to all of the stuff that's going on in non-positive, very, very destructive ways. And it just seems like bad news surrounds us. And so this morning, I want to focus in a little bit on the, the good news. I think there is good news. And I think some of the best news that we could ever read about comes from the scripture from Psalm 46. For those of you that may not know, the book of Psalms, right smack dab in the middle of our Bible, it's one of the thickest uh, books in our our Bible, is basically a a group of songs and poems. Now, most of them read like poetry, but there are several of them that we know for sure were actually songs that were sung. In fact, Psalm 46 actually begins with musical instructions. Like there's actually like notes, like they wrote it at the top of the lead sheet for the worship team. And and the notes at the top say this, For the choir director, a song of the descendants of Korah to be sung with soprano voices. Right? How many of you know what a soprano is? Raise your hand. How many of you think it's just a movie? The Sopranos? It's actually a part. It's the part that ladies generally sing, and it's the higher part, right? So this was apparently to be sung by the ladies, and and anyway, so it is a song that was written. And I believe this song contains some of the best news that we could hear now or anytime. And so I want to read Psalm 46 in its entirety in just a moment. But I don't want to read this just like we've been reading it. See, all of you, a lot of you have been watching from home. You've been worshiping with us from your couches, from your bedrooms, from wherever you've been with a cup of coffee in one hand and a donut in the other. And we've kind of gotten out of the habit of participating in worship. So I want to encourage you to participate. So stand up. Everybody stand up. Yes, if you're watching online, whether it's today or two weeks from now, I want you to stand up too. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this passage, and and I want you to hear these words like you've never heard them before. And when you hear something exciting, I want you to shout amen or hallelujah or praise the Lord. If you want to, you know, take a little trip around the aisles and run a little bit, you can. I know that's what they do in Pentecostal churches. We got to be careful, you know, that we don't seem Pentecostal. Personally, I'm okay with that. But anyway, would you just, you know, do what you want to do. And feel it. This is, this is the word of the Lord from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. I thought that might get something. Always ready to save or to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God. The sacred home of the Most High. Now they're talking about Jerusalem, but I think we could substitute Battle Creek in there, don't you think? God dwells in Battle Creek. We could switch that in and out. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed from the very break of day. God will protect it. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth 
melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Anybody want to break forth into mighty fortresses, our God? Anybody ever heard that song? Probably came from here. Come and see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. If we were to say that in modern terms, he, he, he disarms the nuclear missiles. He destroys the tanks. He grounds all the planes. I don't know how you'd say it. Anyway, um, he takes care of things. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. If I could take a little liberty, I will be honored at the North Avenue Church of God. I will be honored in Battle Creek, Michigan. I will be honored in the United States of America, even though its citizens have completely lost their minds. I will be honored. The Lord of Heaven's armies is here among us. Let me say that again. The Lord of Heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. You can be seated. You can be seated. I I think that scripture contains a whole lot of good news. And I believe that songs that are sung like that, that that have meaning for us, need to be looked at. And and one of the things that helps me to find meaning in music is to know the backstory behind the song. If it's a modern worship song, for instance, I love to go and read about the author and find out what were the circumstances. Why did they write this song the way that they wrote it? Some of you love to do that. Even with older hymns, you you look back at some of the great hymns of the church. And the story surrounding the song does a great deal to help you understand why they wrote what they did. And and it makes it all the more real for you. Like, for instance, if if someone writes a song about God's healing power. And you find out that in the midst of a, a, a struggle with cancer or heart disease or some other physical ailment, they wrote this song out of that experience. For me, that has a tendency to make it hit home. Does that make sense? You know, if someone sings about how God provided for all of their needs and and you find out that maybe they were born in poverty and and had to really struggle and strive and work and suddenly, you know, God provided for them and and has sustained them, that gives that song for me more meaning. And and the story behind a song often helps us to live it out more often. So I think it's important that we look at this song and let's take a look at some of the story behind this song. We believe that Psalm 46 was possibly... Excuse me, I got stuff in my throat. We believe that Psalm 46 was describing, uh, was kind of a response to the situation that we find in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. It's kind of a long story. So I don't want to tell you the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of, I don't want to read it to you. I'm going to tell you the story. So the long and short of the story is this. Assyria, which was a neighboring nation, one of the most um, powerful nations on the earth at that time, is threatening to conquer Judah. Now, this is during the time that the nation of Israel is divided. If you remember, maybe some of you remember from Sunday school that that they wanted, Israel wanted a king, and so they had Saul, then they had David, then they had Solomon. Solomon was known as the wisest man that ever lived. He was the wealthiest king of of Israel, and, and Israel was never greater than it was under his reign. Well, after Solomon... His, his kids started fighting over the kingdom, and eventually that led to a schism, and the nation of Israel was divided in two. So you had Israel, and you had Judah, two separate nations kind of coexisting, sometimes at war with each other, sometimes not. It just depended on who the king was at the time. Both nations didn't do a good job of following God. Both nations had kings that, that occasionally would, would walk away and, and worship 
excuse me, other idols. And, and, and both nations also had kings that at times brought them back to where God wanted them to be. And Judah at this time is experiencing a time under Hezekiah when they have gotten rid of their idols. They have put everything away and they're worshiping Yahweh as they should once again. Unfortunately, Assyria is literally wreaking havoc on all of the nations around them. In fact, Israel, the, the sister nation, has already been conquered by the Assyrian nation, and, and they are now threatening Judah. Now, just so you get an idea who the Assyrians were, these were the baddest of the bad. I want you to imagine the nastiest people you can ever imagine, and then take it about 10 steps further, and that was the Assyrians. The Assyrians, we have actually found reliefs and, and, and etchings and different things of some of the tactics that the Assyrians would use during warfare to destroy other nations. They didn't just want to come in and take over other nations. They did everything in their power to humiliate their enemies to the nth degree. They caused as much carnage as they could, and they were known for finding creative ways of causing pain and torturing people. It was the Assyrians, some believe, who actually came up with the whole idea of crucifixion. They think that the Assyrians created it, the Romans perfected it, of course, and then that's who used it on Jesus. But the Assyrians would also skin people alive. They would also take people still living and breathing and basically put them up on giant stakes and and leave them hanging there to die. They were just horrible people. You see, their whole idea, their whole mission was to try to be so fearsome that when they showed up at the borders of a nation they wanted to conquer, the people in that nation would go, you know what, we're good. We'll just pay you whatever you want. You can have our country. You can have our king. We'll turn him over to you. We just don't want to fight the battle because we've heard how, how ter- terrible you are. And that was basically their goal. And honestly, Judah tried to do just that. As the Assyrians came and, and began to threaten Judah, the king of Israel sent them a reply saying, listen, We don't know what we've done to offend you. We're sorry. We'll send you whatever amount of money you want. If you will please just allow us to be your vassals. We don't don't want any trouble. (laughs) In other words, please don't kill us, right? And so they sent this letter. And of course, the Assyrian king said, well, I want this much gold and I want that much silver. And the, the nation of Israel pulled it all together. They melted every trinket, every piece of jewelry they could find. And they sent the king all of this money, all of this gold and silver and everything. And you know what? The Assyrians still came. And they still threatened Israel in spite of that. And so as the story goes on, basically the king of of Assyria sends an emissary to talk to Israel, and, and the king of Israel, or Judah rather, sends his uh, advisors out to meet with this emissary. And so they have this conversation, and they're standing there talking, and there's people around, and they're listening. And this emissary basically says to the people of, of Judah, who are you putting your trust in? Who do you think is going to save you? Do you think Egypt is going to save you? Because Egypt was kind of nearby. And a lot of the nations in the area had hoped that maybe the, this stronger power from the south would come up and maybe help people against the Assyrians. And, and Judah had tried. They had sent, you know, offers for treaties and all kinds of stuff to Egypt to try to figure out if, if they could get some help. And, and basically this emissary says, is, is Egypt going to come and save you? Egypt is like a reed waving in the wind. I love the imagery here. It's like if you put your hand on the reed and try to lean on it, it'll splinter apart. And you'll, leave, you'll be left with slivers in your hand. That's essentially what he said. Who's going to save you? Egypt? And then he says, who's going to save you? Is it the Lord your God? Do you think your God can stop us? It was your God who told us to come and fight with you in the first place. Now, of course, it wasn't their God. It was their own God. This is a fun game. He's loving this game right now. 
Hey, bud, you back to see me again? Here, let's go for a walk this way. Come on. Yeah, mommy's here. I'm loving this. I will, take, I will take kids in the building, even if it means this every Sunday. Just saying, I will take it. I will take it. I will handle it. So anyway, so the, he, he basically says, who's going who's gonna to defend you? Is it your God? And, and of course, their answer is, you know, personally, yes, it's our God that's going to save us. But this guy's not talking about their God. He's talking about God's, plural. And he finally gives them the ultimate insult by saying this. Get this. He says, listen, if you think you can find 2,000 men to ride them, we will give you 2,000 horses out of our own army if you can find men to ride them. But I'm betting you can't. And this is the words that he said to them. Now, the, the, the advisors of Hezekiah who are talking with this guy, they start looking around as this guy's talking, and other Israelites are hearing these words, and they're starting to get nervous that people are going to, like, freak out. And so they say to this guy, listen, could you please speak in Aramaic so that, you know, we're the only ones that can understand you because we, you know, we don't want everybody else hearing what we're saying. And this guy stands up in boldness and, and declares in Hebrew in front of God and everybody and speaks to the people of Israel from the wall and says, people of Israel, your king is lying to you. He can't stop us. He can't protect you. If you want to live the day, if you want to be able to survive, if you ever want to be free again, then you better open up the gates of your cities and you better walk out and just give yourselves up immediately. He's saying this to the entire nation, to everybody who can hear him. This is the situation Hezekiah is in. The armies of Assyria are at his gates and basically they're doing everything in their power to scare him to death. So what does Hezekiah do? When Hezekiah heard this, basically his response was to put on sackcloth and go to the temple of his God. He put on sackcloth, he went to the temple, he ordered all of his advisors and servants to put on sackcloth, and then he sent some emissaries to Isaiah the prophet to simply say to him, listen, I'm sure God already knows this, but we're in serious trouble. Can you please help us? And Isaiah, or Hezekiah rather, basically began to pray, he humbled himself, he went to the temple, he began to worship, and he sent messengers to the prophet. And and the reason that he did this is because he understood what the first verse of what we've already read said, that God is our refuge and our strength. You see, Hezekiah had learned through his own experiences that when you're up against something that you cannot overcome, you need a refuge. You need someone to be your strength when you don't have the strength to handle it. God is our refuge and strength and always ready to help in times of trouble. Hezekiah knew the good news that I believe our nation needs to hear today. And that is simply that, that I've already said, God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help. I love that translation better. An ever-present help in times of trouble. Whatever storms we might face in our nation, whatever storms you might face in your own lives, I believe that God will be an ever-present help in times of trouble. If we will understand, if we will see, if we will admit and allow Him to be our refuge and our strength. Friends, I'm here to tell you the good news that we need to declare to everybody around us, the good news nobody wants to say and nobody wants to talk about is the fact that we as Christians have a refuge to run to in times of need. Does anybody feel like they need that right now? 
We have a refuge. God is our strength. It doesn't matter what we're facing. And quite frankly, it doesn't even matter how good your relationship is with God. I believe that Scripture teaches us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves everyone, even if you have not yet begun a relationship with Him. Even if you don't know who He is and you're just curious. If you're watching this and you have no idea which God I'm even talking about, the God of heaven and earth, the God that sent Jesus to die cross of Calvary, which we celebrated Easter, the God who gave his son in a manger at Christmas, that God loves you. And that God is willing to be your refuge no matter what you're facing. I don't know what storms you're facing in your life, whatever troubles or trials or challenges that are before you. You don't have to fear when the earthquakes come. Or more appropriately, you don't have to fear when something happens in your life that literally rocks your world. And I think a few of us have experienced that over the last year. Friends, God is our refuge. He is our strength. In fact, I want you to say that. I want you to say, you have a refuge. Say that with me. Say, you have a refuge. Say, God is your strength. God is your strength. He is always there. Say that with me. He is always there there. Listen, if you're watching online, type that in the chat. I hope when I get home today, I'm going to look online on Facebook and all the other chats and see all of that typed a hundred thousand times. Friends, we need to remember it. We need to put it on sticky notes in our house. Maybe put it on your fridge, stick it on the console of your car. You have a refuge. You have a God is your strength. He is always there. Somebody needs to make t-shirts out of that. You have a refuge. I have a refuge. God is your strength. God is my strength. No matter what you face, God is there, and he's willing to help in times of need. Now, some of you are saying, well, Pastor Jeff, do we just, you know, roll over and play dead? No. God is our refuge and strength, and obviously God wants us to do what we can. He's given us talents and gifts and abilities, and some of us have strength that we can share with others. But you know what? Every one of us at some time in our lives is going to come up against something that we can't fight, that we can't handle that we can't face, that we don't know how to deal with. And when that happens, we need to hear the message, the good news. You have a refuge. God is your strength. He is always there in times of trouble. Have I said it enough times for it to stick yet? You see what I'm doing here? I'm trying to get it stuck in your brains like a, a Mariah Carey song or something. I don't, even, I don't know why Mariah Carey came to mind. Anyway, it's those country songs that always get stuck in my brain. And then I have to go to the priest and get him exercised. You know, it's just, it's horrible. Anyway, I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. It's all right. Anyway, you have a refuge. God is your strength. He is always there in times of need. Hezekiah knew this. He knew where to go for his refuge. So he put on the sackcloth. He humbled himself. And he went to the temple of his God. Because he knew where to go in times of need. The saga wasn't over yet. After receiving uh, yet another letter as, as Hezekiah went forward and, and they watched the armies of Assyria to see what would happen, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib is his name. I'm going to say it with authority so that you think I know how to pronounce it, okay? Sennacherib, that's how I'm pronouncing it today. I don't know, how, I don't know what the real pronunciation is, but anyway, he sent another letter to, to um, Hezekiah and again said to him, who are you putting your faith? Who are you even trusting? Why have you not surrendered? Why don't you just roll over and play dead? Why don't you just open the gates of the city and let us in? You know no one's coming. No one's coming to save you. Who's going to save you? Is it your God? And he keeps asking him that. Now, I think that was stupid on his part. 
Because the more somebody asks me who I'm trusting in, the more I remember that verse that I mentioned a couple weeks ago. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in what? In the name of the Lord our God. And he kept asking him, who's your trust in? And I'm sure every time Hezekiah is thinking in his brain, I trust in God, man. I'm trusting in God. You keep asking me, I keep thinking it. Maybe he was even, it was through a letter, so he didn't tell him. Who are you trusting in? I'm trusting in God. And then the king, in his letter to Hezekiah, goes down through the list of all of the nations that have fallen before the Assyrians. We conquered this nation, and look at their gods. We, we conquered this nation, and their gods are dead. We conquered this nation, and we burned their temples, and we burned their gods. All of these different nations, he names them off one by one by one, expecting to intimidate Hezekiah. And Hezekiah's response is classic. Listen to his response. 2 Kings 19, 14 through 9. I'm going to read it to you because I want you to get the full effect. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before, just lays the letter out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord. And listen, I love that prayer. I think, Pat, we ought to start praying that every Wednesday before we start. Lord, bend down. In other words, give us your attention. In other words, come close. God, bend down your ear. Hear what we have to say. I love that. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. Listen to what he says. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. (laughs) But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone are God. You alone, O Lord, are God. Friends, I got to tell you, this is the hardest part for me. What he did here is the hardest part for me. Because upon threat after threat after threat, what did Hezekiah eventually decide to do? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He, he, he didn't strategize with his advisors. He didn't try to come up with more money to pay uh, Sennacherib off. He didn't try to find 2,000 men to ride the aforementioned horses that were promised, whether they'd give them or not. He didn't even send emissaries to Egypt to see if maybe they could get some more troops or some more aid. He didn't do what I would have done, which is run and hide. I would have been like, where's a cave I can hide in right now, right? I know what the Assyrians do to people, but what they do to kings is even worse. This is the hard part for me. What Hezekiah did in response to the king's threats was nothing. How many of you were raised on the adage, don't just stand there, do something? You ever heard that? My mom used to say that to me all the time. Don't just stand there, do something. You know, bales of hay falling off the wagon, you know, on the way down to the barn. And don't just stand there, do something. In other words, grab one of those. In my fa- when, when I grew up on the farm, if the bales of hay were falling off the wagon, you better either be going with them or stopping them, one or the other. Get them things, you know. In the garden, you know, somebody's running amok through the garden. Or we, don't just stand there, do something. 
Friends, we think that the answer to everything is activity. And I got news for you. Yes, God wants us to do our part. Yes, he wants us to work as hard as we can with the talents and the gifts that he's given us to solve the problems that are before us. But when we come up against a problem that is bigger than we can solve, sometimes you just need to what? Be still. Be still. That's what the psalm says, doesn't it? Be still and know. Be still. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Let God handle it. Hezekiah knew this. He had experienced this. Just lay it out before God and pray. Be still before God and see what he does. Listen, most of us encounter problems on a daily basis that we can handle. And I'm a male, so I love to fix things. I love to solve problems. In fact, my wife comes home from school, and she talks to me about all the challenges of being a teacher in this day and age. Well, this happened, and then my computer did this, and this student did that, and this teacher did that, or whatever. And my immediate response is, hey, well, here's what you have to do. I can fix that for you, right? How many of you men have fallen into that trap? Your wives come home complaining, you want to fix everything. Does it work for anybody? anybody? I'm seeing a lot of heads going like this. It doesn't work. Why? Because we can't fix it. And sometimes we need to stop trying. Sometimes we need to recognize that the answer to the problem before us, when the Assyrians are camped at the gate, that the answer is be still. Be still and know. Not be still and and hope. Not be still and wonder. Be still and know that I am God. That's what Hezekiah had experienced, and that's what he did. And this is the outcome, 2 Kings 19. Now, keep in mind as I read this, that this is, this is written during a time when nations killed or were killed, okay? And, and so you've got to understand the context here. This was not a time like today. This was a time when battles and wars were common everyday occurrences. So just hear that. 2 Kings 19.35 says this, That night... The angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp. One angel went out to the Lord, or went out, went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and hear those last two words stayed there. I don't know about you, but if that happened to my army, I would have never gone close to Judah again. That's just freaky. You wake up in the morning and your army is decimated. There was no battle. There was no fight. It happened quietly in the night. How many of you would love for God to deal with your problems that way? No battle. No fight. It just quietly happened in the night. I didn't know that rhymed. It just, it does. I would love for God to deal with the things that are facing me in that same way. And you know what? He will. But we have to learn how to be still. I've got news for you again. I I think that, that one of the biggest things, one of my biggest issues in life is I always feel like I have to do something. You know, when I found out a couple, uh, this couple days ago that our basketball season was delayed yet again because apparently there's somebody in government that thinks you can play basketball from six feet apart. I don't know where that comes from, but 
Apparently, our, our basketball season is delayed again, and immediately my mind went to work. We've got to fix this. We're going to fix this. We're going we're gonna to figure this out. I'm going to go to the governor, knock on her door, talk some sense into her, you know, because I'm smart. I can do that, right? Yeah, right. Uh, let's see. Maybe I could write a letter. Maybe I can start a campaign. You know what we should do? Actually, what we should do is we should find, you know, we have a church gym. We should just call all the other teams we were going to play this season and quietly play non-MHSAA-sanctioned games with, with uh, pickup referees in our church gym. We'll just do that. We'll just bypass it all and do the illegal. How about that? These are the thoughts rolling through my head. That's how desperate I'm getting. Because these kids do not deserve to miss out on another season. But you know what God's teaching me? <laughs> and it's, it's taken time. He's teaching me this through experiences, through other people, and through his word. That sometimes I just need to spread it out before him, like Hezekiah did with the letter. And say, God, you can see this, right? <laughs> I got to just let you handle it now. Because oftentimes when we try to handle it, <laughs> we do it the wrong way. We're like having illegal basketball games in a church gym. Can you see the headlines now? COVID outbreak because of the North Avenue Church of God. So if anybody's listening online, I'm not doing that. Not going to do it. We always want to do something. But sometimes the best thing that we can do is remember the good news. And the good news is this. You have a refuge. It's our Heavenly Father. God is your strength. Whether you know him or not, he's willing to be your strength. He's willing to be your strength until you can find the strength to know him. So whether you're close to him or whether you're far away, God can be your refuge. He can be your strength. He is always there to help in times of trouble. We have to simply be still and know that he is God. Let me pray for you as we dismiss today. God, I, I come before you today and Lord, as I look out on this congregation and imagine in my mind all of the people that are not yet back yet and, and are sitting at home maybe watching this, I can't help but see faces of people who have come up against some difficult things over the last months. And, and God, I, I don't know what all those things might be, but I can imagine that there are some that are struggling because you know, businesses seem to be closing in our community because of this whole COVID thing. And some are struggling because maybe their jobs are being threatened or their income has been cut. Some are up against a, a wall of, of cancer or heart disease or, or even COVID or, or whatever it might be. The doctor's not giving them the news that they had hoped they would hear. It's all bad news instead of good news. Some that are listening to the sound of my voice may have bad news in their relationships. They're, maybe they're up against the wall with, with their spouse or with one of their children or a parent. And they're trying to figure out how the relationship can be salvaged. They desperately don't want to lose it, but there just doesn't seem to be a way forward. Or whatever the struggle might be, whatever the, 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 the opposition that we're up against, whatever the enemy is trying to do, I pray that right now you would give every person within the sound of my voice the assurance that they have a refuge in you. That you will be their strength and that you are always there to help in times of need. And Lord, the way that we experience that often is that we simply need to lay things out before you and be still in your presence. Lord, we love to talk. <laughs> And we love to control, but when we lay it before you and we step away, it, it takes away our, our ability and our feeling of control. And Lord, that is exactly sometimes what has to happen for you to be able to work it out. 
And I pray right now, Lord, prophetically, that you would right now look at the problems and the issues that everyone is having and within the sound of my voice, if there's something that they're up again, that, that you would, in the middle of the night, quietly, when no one is looking, just solve the problem for them. And may they rise in the morning to find that that barrier has been torn down, that that opposition has been defeated that they have a clear way forward. And Lord, I pray that when that happens, <laughs> you would fill their souls with song, just like you did for the people of Israel who wrote Psalm 46 out of this experience. May songs be written today about the way that you have been our help and our strength and our fortress. I ask all of this in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.